Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with the latest edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from Nashville. First, as travel heats up to Europe, we'll check in with the CEO of one of the world's newest airlines, Norse Atlantic, which is in the thick of a battle of low-fare wars over the Atlantic. Then, we'll dig deep into Nashville and Music City with historian David Steele Ewing. The chairman and president of legendary Gibson Guitars will stop by, and Mike Severson, the founder and owner of Songwriter City. First up, Bjorn Larsson, the founder of Norse Atlantic. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Bjorn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peter. You know, in, in, in reading your bio, I, ha- I had to chuckle a little bit because you know, when I talk about people who are running airlines, if you look at their bio, it always says, well, they had 25 years of airline experience before they assumed the role of CEO. You, on the other hand, <laughs> you, on the other hand, <laughs> were a travel agent. And all of a sudden, boom, you bought an airline. I love it. Um, I mean, of course, you know the question people are going to always ask you, like, what did you know about an airline? By the way, that to me is a plus. About, uh, it, 
because if, if people with tons of airline experience are bound to make the same mistakes. Um, I just think that they haven't really learned. But uh, why North Atlantic and why now? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a very good question. And as you know, airline business is a financially very very risky business. And uh, a lot of companies have uh, gone belly up uh, in their uh, uh, attempt to create a sustainable business. Now, we, we started basically because we saw a great opportunity in COVID. And, and I just have to add that between the travel agents uh, business and now, I've been working in the maritime shipping space for the last 33 years. So... I know a little bit about uh, transportation, and what I do know is that in a in a very volatile business, you need to manage your financial risk very carefully. So you need to protect your downside. And how we do that in our business in the maritime space, and now in the airline business, is to buy when it's cheap. It's simple as that. And during COVID, we could get hold of uh, a very modern fleet of Dreamliners for. Uh, historic low prices, and that was basically what triggered the opportunity. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the Dreamliners. I know where the Dreamliners came from, right? They came from the airline that went under called Norwegian, which I flew a lot. <laughs> and uh, so it, it's it's sort of Norwegian plus, if you will. Uh, you, I, in fact, I flew on you the other night uh, that, that when, we, oh. when we went over to London on one of your 787 Dreamliners because you, you, you launched service, what, in 2022 from Oslo to New York, and then you've added service, uh, of course, New York to London. Uh, and I think you're going uh, to, to, to Paris as well pretty soon. But what's interesting, what's, what's, what's interesting to me is that if I take a look at a fair comparison of, uh, of the major legacy carriers, uh, American, United, Delta, uh, throw, in their air, throw in Air France, throw in British Air, and I'm looking right now at a round-trip fare and coach from, let's say, New York to London's Heathrow, I'm looking at $1,200 minimum, um, and, and, and maybe even more to France. Uh, those, those, those airfares are through the roof. You just had airfares not too long ago. I saw it as a pop-up sale. You had round trip from New York to London for, I think, $358. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, those are definitely bargains. Uh, we have a lot of very good prices, very uh, attractive fares, but uh, having said that, uh, also uh, also we have a little higher prices when demand is at its peak. Uh, and yes, we are, we're based in Norway, but I would say we're more a European slash American airline where where our main focus is to fly between big cities in Europe and America, uh, where there is a catchment in both ends. And that's, that's what we do during the summer season. And, and for winter, we are doing a bit of the same, but we are adding some, some destinations, Caribbean and, and Thailand, for example. Yeah, I saw, um, you know, I, Bjorn, I, Bjorn, I saw that you were going to go from Oslo to Bangkok. I said, count me in. I love that idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> lovely. So you're more than welcome aboard, Peter, anytime. <laughs> no, and the reason why I noticed that right away is that if you take a look at the beginning of Thai Airways, uh, when they first started, what saved Thai Airways is they were trained by SAS, they were trained by the Scandinavians, so you're in good company there uh, on a route that uh, will be very, very popular, I'm sure. But what you just said earlier, I think, is an important notation here. And most of our travelers who listen to my show may not realize this. Most people, when they make reservations, are looking at point-to-point travel. And I'm telling everybody not to do that anymore, to go beyond. Meaning, if I want to go, let's say, from New York to Bangkok, why wouldn't I go through Oslo? If I want to go from New York to Milan, uh, or excuse me, if I want to go from, from New York to Dubai, why wouldn't I go through Milan? Uh, 
you're seeing so many airline routes that are going through their major hub cities that you're not thinking about because you're always thinking nonstop. And if you break up the trip and you look at it that way as, di- as different segments, in many cases, the airfares are actually cheaper. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely true. And I, I think uh, the, the, um, the traveling public is also changing their habits. So people are getting more uh, accustomed to building their own schedules uh, where they are either... Uh, you know, bu- buying sectors, or they might buy a true fare, uh, but with, with various airlines, and and then add on hotels themselves. And and and, and there is a, a big change in how people are traveling, also post COVID, uh, which which I think is in uh, you know to the benefit of those who can pr- provide either nonstop uh, flights uh, between cities that uh, uh, that can justify that, or good good connecting flights, even if it isn't a scheduled uh, hub or, or anything like that. So I think you're right. And, and we see a lot of people who, who build their own itineraries these days. Now, I know you're going right now between New York and, and London and New York and Paris. Any other U.S. gateway cities you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. And, and this uh, uh, summer, we're going to fly from New York, from Los Angeles, from San Francisco, Washington, D.C., uh, Orlando and Fort Lauderdale, and we're adding Boston in September. So we have we have actually now seven airports in uh, in the U.S. being served, and we're flying to Paris, Berlin, Oslo, uh, London, and Rome, uh, and, and all all of those are big hits during summer. Now, of course, of course, in the New York to London route, you're flying to Gatwick instead of Heathrow, which I happen to think is a plus because you just jump on the on the Gatwick Express and it's easy. If you're flying to to Paris, are you going to De Gaulle or are you going to Orly? Uh, we're going to, to De Gaulle. That's the main airport, and, and it served us very well. Uh, we have a, we're at the Terminal 3 there, which is a really great passenger experience as well. So so Paris has been, uh, we, we just fl- flown there for a bit more than a month, but it's been a real success. And of course, later this year, you're going from Oslo to Bangkok. I keep coming back to that, which means if you want to do what I want to do, you're going to pack two sets of clothing, your winter clothes and your summer clothes, winter for Oslo, summer for Bangkok, and you'll have a great time. <laughs> How about that for an idea? Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a perfect combo. My thanks to Bjorn. And now a look at Music City with historian David Steele Ewing on the evolution of a community and a culture. My next guest knows just a little bit about Nashville. He's a ninth-generation Nashvillian. Am I right? Yes, Peter. <laughs> this, is, this has been home. Actually, the first three were involuntary. We were enslaved by people, including Andrew Jackson, but my family stuck around. And that family, of course, is David Steele Ewing, our Nashville historian and tour guide. But, I mean, you're still here. I love it here. I would live nowhere other place. You know, for most people, Nashville, you know, we know the, the term music city. Mm-hmm. We know that, you know, you're going to find some of the greatest artists here ever. But we'll get back to music city in a second. Outside of music city, this is a growing city. We are a boom town. Uh, and 50 years ago, we had about 400,000 people. Now we're about 715,000. And the outer areas around the city are just growing even faster. Uh, it's the Four Seasons is a very typical part of our growth that you would have never imagined 10 years ago that we would have hotels like the Four Seasons. Because it wasn't associated with Nashville. I mean, you no. know, Nashville wasn't considered a luxury city. 
We are now a luxury city. We have luxury travels. I give tours to luxury visitors all the time, including YPO groups and conventions, and they come here for our great restaurants and now our great hospitality and hotels. And of course, speaking of Nashville history, you talked about the first three, gen- you know, the first three generations here we're talking about. I mean, that's part of American history, right? We're talking about slavery. We're talking about, about uh, later on, of course, the civil rights movement. Nashville was settled as a city on Christmas Day, 1779, right across the street from the Four Seasons on the banks of the Cumberland River. Our first settlers came here and built a fort in the downtown area, and we've had a city ever since. And of course, was it a, was it a railhead? It was a railhead later in the 19th yeah. century, uh, around the time of the Civil War. The railroads came through here and took goods and people, and that was a big part of our economy, too. But was it originally built around the river? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. We, we, every, everything goes around the river and unless, you know, you uh, later go to the 20th century with railroads. So where did music come in and how did it come in? Music really was, uh, the term Music City came from the Fisk Jubilee Singers. Fisk University was a school started for African Americans after the Civil War. My mother attended that school and graduated. She was in John Lewis's class. And In the early days of FIST, they had a singing group of students who went and traveled the country to raise money for the school. And they sung the same songs that they sung during the days of plantation days and slavery. So we're talking balladeers. Yes, Negro spirituals. Yeah. And they had an audience in the White House here in, in the United States. And then Queen Victoria invited them to have a concert for her. And we became known globally as Music City because of the... Fist Jubilee singers traveling around and singing these great songs. And it wasn't until later that the Ryman Auditorium came in. The Ryman Auditorium was built in 1892 by a riverboat captain named Tom Ryman. Um, I'm writing a book on the Ryman right now. It's, a, it's, a, it's the best place to hear music. It's only 2,400 seats. It's acoustically perfect. Can I and, tell you a secret? Yes. Well, you asked me right before we went on the air, when was the last time I was in Nashville? Mm-hmm. I was here doing a piece on someone you know very well. And she and I went into the Ryman together. Mm-hmm. We were the only two ones in there, and we sang an a cappella duet. Wow. You got to sing at the stage on the Ryman Auditorium. With Dolly Parton. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. But wait, what happened after I sang the song? What? She looked at me and she said, you sure ain't no singer. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your day job, Peter. <laughs> there, Dolly, is, there is video of that, if anybody wants to know. Dolly had her Opry debut at the Ryman, and she was asked to join the Opry in 1969. The other two people that were asked to join that year were George Jones and Tammy Wynette. It is the mother church of country music. If you've never been, it is worth traveling to Nashville just to see a concert at the Ryman. Exactly. It is. And it's not big. No, 2,400 seats. It's intimate. Every seat is good, and it's just this magical place. Okay, so that goes back to the 1890s. Yes. Right? But then we went from Jubilee Singers Mm -hmm. to country music. How? In 1925, an insurance company started a radio show called the Grand Ole Opry. From the Ryman. Not originally from the Ryman. Ah. The Ryman was the fifth home of the Grand Ole Opry. I did not know. They started from the uh, penthouse of their studios on the sixth floor near the state capitol. And this radio show, which at first featured an artist by the name of Uncle Jimmy Thompson, who was a fiddler, had a long beard, was 79 years old, played fiddle for for an hour. They got hundreds of letters after he was on the air saying, more of that, please, and 
country music was just born here. Ken Burns did a 16-hour documentary on the history of country music, and most of that was about Nashville. So David, we see how it starts, right? But now, I walk out of this hotel, and I turn right. I go about 40 feet. I'm surrounded by music, right? There's live music when you land at the airport. I mean, I mean, this is truly... We, we, there's a, no more live music in any place on the planet than Nashville, Tennessee, and actually this concentration of lower Broadway, which is from the river to John Lewis. Which is that, really where we are right now. Yes, that, you know, there are about 25 bars that start playing live music around 10 o'clock each morning and play till Let's 3 a.m. Let's start again. Each morning. Each morning, yes. The singer So there's no point in going to bed. No. This is Music <laughs> City. We don't sleep. Everyone wants to be the next big star. They want to be the next Brad Paisley, Garth Brooks, Keith Urban. And, you know, you start off by playing these honky-tonks on Broadway, and you mainly play for tips. You've got the tip, tip bucket out, and you've got big dreams and big talent. That's what Nashville's all about. Do you play an instrument? I have played the piano when I was young, but that's it. All right, so I don't have to give you a tip today. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that people just come here, and it's just like nonstop auditioning. Yes, if you want to be anything in the country music business, you have to move to Nashville. We actually write more songs in Nashville, Tennessee before noon than most cities write in a month or a year. This is our industry. By the way, speaking of songwriting, what I learned about Dolly Parton, how many songs has she written? Oh, thousands. Thousands. Yes. Thousands. And she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You on the same day. That is just incredible. Is that true? Yes. Wow. And of course, we all know who covered I Will Always Love You. Whitney Houston. Dolly made about $10 million off of the covering. Because when you write a song, if you hear a song on the radio, the money gets split in two. The publisher gets half, and then the songwriter gets half. Not the performer, the songwriter. The copyright law of 1909 rewards the owner of the copyright and the creator. So Dolly hit a double hit there. Yes. <laughs> but Dolly, of course, can do no wrong. You know, she has given back so much with her imagination library. And then, of course, she gave Vanderbilt University a million dollars and they turned that into the vaccine that became Moderna. And she just recently gave them another million dollars. So, you know, Dolly is our most popular and f most famous Tennessean. She cannot do any wrong. And every once in a while, she comes back and plays as well. She does. I've seen her at the Ryman. And, you know, Dolly lives here part of the year and so you know people have dolly run-ins <laughs> dolly run-ins yeah. and she's still on the bus she's still on the bus she is still on the bus she took me in the bus one day she said i'm going to show you something secret so i go in the back of the bus right way in the back of the bus where her bedroom is and there are these four doors and she opened them up what's back there dresses wigs wigs all the wigs <laughs> Well, you'll, be, you'll appreciate this. The tour bus industry started here in Nashville, Tennessee, for the Grand Ole Opry. The Grand Ole Way Opry, before rock and roll. Yes. The Grand Ole Opry started in 1925, and it's the longest-running radio show in the world. But if you were a member of the Grand Ole Opry back then, you had to play Saturday night at the Opry. So the Opry doesn't pay much scale, so you had to go travel somewhere else to make money, but you had to be back in Nashville on Saturday night. So all these musicians had tour buses, Ernest Tubb and Hank Williams. They had to be back here to play the Opry on Saturday night. And not to mention the fact they were also living in the buses. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. So in a given week, can you ever estimate how many performances there are? Oh, if you count Lower Broadway, I mean, there are hundreds of performances every week here. And then we have smaller venues like the Exit Inn, the Bluebird, Listening Room. So there's lots of places, the, the National Palace, there's lots of places that you could hear live music. And you forgot one thing, which is walking distance from this hotel. You ready? 
Okay. The Nashville Symphony. The Na- oh, well, <laughs> I was on the board of the Nashville Symphony when we built the Skirmerhorn Symphony Center, and that building is beautiful. That building will be here in 200 years like the Ryman Auditorium. It's a world-class symphony hall that Martha Ingram helped raise $130 million for, and our symphony has really kind of taken off over the last 10 years. We've won lots of Grammys, and it's also a building that also concerts are in too. And for those people who are looking for a sense of place here and want to know how to get here, uh, Nashville is what, a 10-hour drive to anywhere in the country? (laughs) 10-hour drive for half the country's population. Wow. So you think about Chicago, New Orleans, Memphis, Birmingham, it takes a day's drive to get to Nashville. If you're driving with somebody else. Yes. (laughs) Hey, listen, I went to college. I know the all-nighters on the interstate. Yes. When people first come here, I mean, you're ninth generation, but when people first come here, what's the biggest surprise to them about Nashville? I give tours every week, and the people that visit here um, and I show around, you know, they're surprised that the city is really a big city, but, you know, it still has a small town feel, and that we have the amenities that kind of larger cities have, that these great restaurants, you know, a wonderful first-class airport now, and that, and that we're a safe and clean city, too. No one wants to visit your city if it's not clean and safe, and we spend a lot of money and resources making sure it is. Wow, cool. And what's the biggest surprise that still exists for you about Nashville? The biggest surprise is still how many people haven't been to Nashville recently or still have the kind of image of Nashville like Hee Haw back in the 70s and 80s. You know, we're still dating me now and we're still trying to get rid of that image. But, you know, Nashville is a grown up city, but some people still think it's a really small town. You know, you mentioned Hee Haw, Roy Clark. Yes, Buck Owens. I mean, everyone was on Hee Haw. Um, Dolly Parton was on Hee Haw. Garth Brooks was on Hee Haw. Johnny Cash. I mean, you name it. Everyone made an appearance. You can't talk about Nashville without using the word guitar. And you can't talk about guitars without talking about the iconic Gibson guitar. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Cesar Guikian, how are you? Good, thank you for having me. I mean, this is quite a place. Right? Yeah, I mean, this is the Mecca. This, to us, that's exactly what we had in mind when we designed it. But you've only been here how many years? Four and a half years. So this is brand new for you, too, when you got here. Oh, yeah. This didn't exist. This was our vision of how do we want to be represented if somebody were to walk into a Gibson place and us not have to explain anything. What does Gibson look like? And that's how we came up with the Gibson Garage. But your personal story, you're a third generation... American born in Argentina. I'm third generation Armenian born Armenian. in Argentina. My great grandparents escaped the genocide. Wow. 
So you've had quite a journey. Yeah, I grew up with that history and a lot of that sort of pain that came with relocating and being part of the Armenian diaspora. But also I think that gave us a lot of strength. Uh, I see around my family and how we grew up with hard work and commitment and, and you know, having, having a dream and not stopping until we were able to get there. Of course, you've lived in Miami, London, Hong Kong, Buenos Aires, of course. What is it about Nashville for you? What was the surprise for you when you got here? Nashville is one of the most friendly and inviting places. I would say the most uh, friendly and inviting city uh, that I've ever been to, that I've ever lived in. And it's still growing and relatively small compared to all the places I lived in. And I was very welcomed. My family was very welcomed here from the very beginning. You know, you could think, you could say that it had to do with us being part of this iconic American brand, but ultimately over time that wore off and, and all the friends I have continued to be welcoming and friendly. And it's, been, it, it, it's actually my favorite place to live. But did you ever say that about the other places? I always knew that I was going to be there temporarily. I mean, I lived 10 years in New York, eight in London, as you mentioned. I was in Hong Kong temporarily. I uh, lived in Chicago, lived in Miami, grew up in Argentina. Argentina and Uruguay I love. I always go back. Nashville is going to be family headquarters. So you're saying this is your forever place now? And I'm building the forever place. It's been three <laughs> years in the making. When you got here, uh, now, the good news is, of course, you've been playing guitar since you were 10. Yeah. So this is not exactly a tough transition for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with my mom, over the years, I started accumulating guitar knowledge. I would open everything up. I would look inside, inspect the woods, and and study what, how it was made and what it had inside. And my mom always said, wow, you've got this incredible amount of useless knowledge about guitars. And now I tell my mom, see, mom, I can put it to work. Well, I've always said that if you understand the process, that's the only way you value the product. Yeah. Right? So how many different woods go into a Gibson? Oh. Or can go into a Gibson? Well, it depends on the guitar, but if you, if you pick the most famous guitar of all time, the Gibson Les Paul, it's got maple on the top, mahogany on the back and the neck, it's got rosewood on the fingerboard, and then it's got all the electronics. So three very important tone woods that go into it, and then the rest is how we make it. The Les Paul goes back how many years? It started 1952. And it's still around. It actually started in 1948 when we first designed it. And not a lot of people know that we first presented as a solid body electric guitar. It was presented to Tony Motola, who was Frank Sinatra. I remember Tony Motola. He was his, he was his backup guy. Yeah, he was his guitar player. Yeah. He played a Gibson Super 400, which is a, a semi-hollow guitar. And so he, he didn't love the solid body concept and therefore we go and present it to les paul himself les paul had so he been, was the second choice he was the second choice he was a very he was the most famous touring act at the time with mary ford and he had a connection with gibson for a long time he had been testing guitars and playing since the 40s with us and when he saw our concept of the solid body electric guitar which already was shaped that way he had already been working on a solid body himself. It's a famous guitar called the Log that he had been working on at the Epiphone factory in New York. He immediately jumped on, and I have all of these in our record, so I'm not making this up. He jumped on and became the person who endorsed it. How old is Gibson? We are 130 years, almost 130. 
Start, Actually, one, 130 years this year. Obviously started with the acoustic guitars. 1894, Orville Gibson starts making mandolins first, and then immediately after starts making guitars. And he was inspired by the way that Stradivarius's violins were built, with, which they have a, a, a little curve, a little carved top, yeah. as opposed to being flat. And he said, what happens if I incorporate that technology at the time into a mandolin and a guitar? And he figured out they actually sound bigger. They sound better. And that's how we started making instruments, applying that concept. Wow. And now, how many different brands? Well, now we... Well, Gibson is our main brand, of course. And, but in 1957, thanks to Les Paul himself, we acquired Epiphone. Uh, he was the one who brokered that deal. And we, we own Epiphone, Kramer. A couple of years ago, we bought Mesa Boogie, which Randy Smith started 53 years ago. And he's still with us. Wow. And, uh, and a couple of other brands. This is not just a location where visitors come. It's also a place where musicians come. That's right. This, this is amazing what's happened since we opened up the garage. It's become a destination. Even right before speaking to you, I was here with a couple of artists. And that's a daily occurrence. Uh, people come, fans come here, artists come here. Sometimes I'm out at the garage, out there in the public, working, helping the team. And I ask uh, somebody, what brought you here? And they said, the Gibson Garage. And then I asked them, no, no, but what brought you to Nashville? You know, I think I, they come to see a show and they say, the Gibson Garage. <laughs> and what's in the Gibson Garage? Well, there's always about 400 guitars. No matter what day it is, there's 400 guitars between the carousel that goes around the ceiling with about 200 guitars and then 200 guitars in the rest of the space. Everything is there to be played, tried, everything from the $300 guitar to the $50,000 custom shop. Everything is there for you to come and try. All tuned? Everything is tuned. Everything is ready to go. Do you have a curator? We do. I actually dare you to go and find one that's not in tune. <laughs> What's your most impressive guitar that's on in the collection? Not by price, yeah. but by story. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of instruments that Orville made himself. And I think those tie us back to our original DNA of how Gibson and how Orville started making instruments with that brilliant concept of everything that goes into the guitar has to be in service to sound. So I'm thinking, there's Orville and Wilbur for the planes. Right. And now we have Orville for the, uh, for the guitars. Yeah, we do. That's right. Name another Orville. I never thought about it that way. Think about it. I, I can't. can't. <laughs> Amazing. What's the biggest surprise? When people come here, I know they've read up about it, of course, mm -hmm. but until they see it, they're not, they're not ready. No. No, I think the, the, generally people are blown away. Just when you walk into the garage and you see that big sign and you see the guitars going around in the carousel, you see that stage and you see the, the quality of what we've built, which had to be there because of the quality of what we our guitars, right? How we build guitars, um, that sort of quality and craftsmanship that goes into our instruments had to be reflected in the space. And so I think it's a little bit overwhelming at the beginning. You see the space and it's like, oh my God. But then, then you get into it, you warm up, you start grabbing and playing. And our team, I got to tell you, our team is amazing. They make everybody feel welcome, no matter what your level. And performances here? Constantly. I think the garage stage is being used about three evenings a week, whether it's a record launch, an artist performance, uh, a charity event. We do a lot of 
fundraising for Gibson Gives and our extended partners. Um, we do a lot of greatness, I think, for music education. Uh, we, we always love saying, you know, we do everything we do one guitar at a time. And, and I think one guitar at a time matters. And the guitars are all made here? All of our electric guitars are made here in but Nashville. But not the acoustics? The acoustics are made in Bozeman, Montana. So when I think acoustic guitars, I always think of Bozeman. No, I don't. <laughs> how, did, how did Bozeman show up? About 35 years ago, we bought a company that made mandolins called, called Flatiron Mandolins. And they were so good. There was this ecosystem of luthierism there that over the years after that acquisition, we started moving acoustic guitars as well onto that team. And since about 32 years ago, now every Gibson acoustic guitar is made there. Is there a kind of wood that you used to use that you're no longer using? Well, that's a great question, Peter. The, the holy grail of tone woods, it's called Brazilian rosewood. And since the early 90s, it's been banned. I mean, it was a uh, endangered species. And so that's, that's why also a lot of vintage instruments that, you know, pre-1964, 65, that were made with Brazilian rosewood fingerboards are so coveted. Banned because of what they were doing in the rainforest in Brazil. What they were doing in the rainforest in Brazil. So we were able to find a very large reservoir of Brazilian rosewood about two years ago that took about three years ago. So three years ago we found it and two years of uh, working with the different government entities to bring it over. And now we, you know, we have a pretty good stash of Brazilian. But after that it's gone. After that it'll be gone. Oh, my goodness. It's like Koa in, in, in Hawaii. In Hawaii. You can't find it anymore. Mm -hmm. Too bad. I know. Is there a kind of guitar you no longer make anymore? Well, we, make, we made a lot of instruments that, depending on the decade, uh, now we, we don't make. I mean, I was actually just discussing this with my team. There's, I, I really do love a shape that was called the RD. That was the Gibson RD that was made in the 70s and the 80s that we're not making anymore. I'd love to bring that guitar back one day. One of the things that, that attracted me to come over and want to talk to you is that you even have a partnership with the Four Seasons Hotel. We do. How, I mean, you're going to bring guitars to the hotel? Yeah, we do. Yeah, so there's a, uh, we developed this concept. Erica from our team developed the concept with them of having in-room, you know in room, basically in-room uh, Gibson service, which that allows you to have a guitar in your room. By the so way, you whether you play one or not. Well, like, yes, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but it, it's it's a really cool feature, I think, for a lot of us who travel and don't want to travel with a guitar to have a guitar in your room. And it's a Gibson. It's a Gibson acoustic. So, you know, you're getting a great instrument. And, and no, no amp. <laughs> no. Well, no, we're still working on that with them. Yeah. But I think an acoustic guitar will get you through and, and hopefully inspire you to play. And then it, it also gives you the ability to uh, come to the garage, have a private tour, take a look inside, take a look at the vault, which is not open to the public, and a couple of other cool features. So if I show up here and I want, I want a guitar, but I want my own guitar, you can custom make one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we do that regularly, whether it's for fans or artists. We'll design from the very beginning everything you want into your favorite instrument you know one of my favorite stories did not involve gibson it involved taylor you, you know the story about the guy in united airlines what they do with his guitar no you ever heard that story i have oh my god you gotta google this he's on a flight from chicago to lincoln nebraska he's touring with his band and he has a, an acoustic guitar which he always puts in the overhead compartment right and the gate agent said sorry you have to check it he said i always take this on the plane he says you have to check it if you don't check it you don't fly and he had to be performing that night so he said okay so he checks it 
and he's sitting in his window seat, and all of a sudden the woman behind him, she, he hears her shriek, and he looks out the window, and the baggage guys are playing frisbee with his guitar. Oh my. They're just throwing it everywhere. And of course, when he lands in Lincoln, Nebraska, there's not much left of the guitar. Sure. So he calls United Airlines saying, you're going to fix the guitar? They said, no, we don't do that. I said, well, you broke my guitar. So they wouldn't do anything for him. So you know what he did? He wrote a song called United Airlines Broke My Guitar. Yeah. He got 25 of his friends together. It went viral, right? And I mean, I'm, I'm talking millions of views. I had him on the show. The Taylor guitar people said, you know what? We'll outfit your entire band. You're now our ambassador. Then United Airlines still wouldn't fix the guitar. So he did a second video and had 100 extras. They all worked for free because they all hated the airline. Yeah. Right? They did that one. It goes viral. They put him on Letterman show. No, finally, United Airlines calls and said, would you like to come talk to us? Yeah. And maybe you could come and advise our baggage guys. So they fly him to Chicago. I can't make this up. They lost his bags. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Now, on that happy note, we're at Gibson, not Taylor. Yeah. Cesar, what are you going to play on that acoustic guitar, which was not broken by the airlines? Well, let me play something that I wrote a couple of years ago. Does it have a name? No, I haven't named it yet. It's called Cesar Song. It's called Cesar Song. Go for it. Nicely done. All right, thank you. You know, it's it's a nice coincidence that the president of the company also happens to play the product of the company. Some say not very well, but I I, I play. You got through with that? Yeah, I got through. I can get I can get through with it. Yeah. Okay, you may not get to the second round, but you did okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm staying at the Four Seasons, so I can call you guys up and say, "Can you send a guitar to my room?" Well, actually, you already booked it through them. So there's a number of uh, Gibson acoustic guitars that are already there. Okay. And so if you book uh, room service by Gibson, automatically when you show up and you check in, <laughs> it'll be in the room. Do you send somebody over who can actually teach me how to play the guitar? Oh, we can do that. You can? Yeah, you should come. Well, come to the garage. All of our pros are amazing guitarists and amazing teachers. So within an hour, I'm doing Stairway to Heaven? Well. Uh, probably not. Okay. Well. Okay, it was a thought. Let's start with a simpler song. <laughs> Mary Had a Little Lamb Sweet Home Alabama 
That actually, that actually is a simple song. Yeah, it's three chords. It's three chords. Yeah. Look what it did for that group. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My thanks to Caesar. Now, if Nashville is truly a city of music, it's also a city of songwriters and storytellers. And Mike Severson, the founder and owner of Songwriter City, has created a place for both the songwriters and the stories they need to tell. Mike Severson, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So everywhere I walk, it, it, it's an acoustic event because within five feet of this hotel, I'm, I'm hearing music. I land at the airport. There's live music at the airport. I mean, I'm fully expecting my cab driver to whip out a guitar on the way into the city. Why did you start Songwriter City and, and what is it? Well, I mean, we're not only known as Music City in Nashville, but also Songwriter Capital of the World. I think the, yeah. the biggest and best songwriters live and work right here in the Nashville area from all different genres. Yeah, and what, what I've noticed is no matter where they go to get fame and fortune, they keep a place here. Absolutely. And we've been seeing a lot of people move from LA and New York and other markets to here to be in the songwriter community. And I think that's the most important thing of what this town is, is it's a community of artists and songwriters that, that live and work together. And uh, it, it's a great, cohesive bunch of people and and, uh, and it works. I mean, of course, in New York, we remember the old songwriter building, the Brill building, and dead, and, 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 and where all they, they used to hang out, you know, the Carol Kings, and that's where she wrote all those songs. There's so many other lyricists and, and, and songwriters. But, but what are you doing here specifically? Well, with Songwriter City, uh, you know, the Songwriter Round was kind of born here in Nashville, and it's where songwriters will get together and tell the stories behind the songs that they've written and perform those acoustically, kind of the way that they were originally written. And then they'll engage with a, an audience, you know, a crowd that's uh, at the venue. And I've been in the industry for about, you know, 30 years, a little over 30 years, and I've seen everybody on the face of the earth when it comes to live shows. I worked at record labels uh, for many, many years, and it's my favorite form of entertainment when it's done right. How many record labels have you worked for? After MCA Records and Rounder and Midas Records, it's it gets a little cloudy. I mean, I bounced around a little bit after that, so probably half a dozen. Okay. Just to, yeah, yeah. So, some of them are, you know, I don't know if they were actually record labels. <laughs> if, if I'm looking back, I'm... <laughs> but everybody I'm claimed now. they had one. Right, exactly. But, you know, when songwriting is really storytelling, I mean, yes. that's really what it is. Right. But there's something called songwriter's rounds. That's right. And, you know, made famous by the Bluebird Cafe here in town, uh, and also the show Nashville, uh, oddly enough. And I, I think that really opened the eyes of, uh, to a lot of people uh, nationally about what... You talk about the Robert Altman movie? No, the, uh, actually the series on ABC. See, I'm uh, dating myself. You have to go back and watch the Robert Altman movie. <laughs> and I've seen that movie as well, yeah. And that, I think that those sort of uh, movies and, and television shows will open the eyes of kind of what Nashville's all about. Uh, the Bluebird Cafe is, is the most famous for it. It's a small little venue here in town. Um, and what I have seen, the reaction from people that have seen shows like this, um, it's just something uniquely special and very authentic Nashville. And I wanted to kind of... Well, what is a songwriter's round? Songwriter round. It's where, the, you know, you'll have a number of songwriters together and they will uh, gather sometimes in a circle, most of the time in a straight line that they still call it a round. <laughs> and they'll take turns uh, performing those hit songs or songs that they've written. And then they'll tell the stories. And it's a very much a storytelling event. And that's what's the most compelling part of it is the storytelling. And then it, it connects the, the, the viewer and the listener in a new way to the songs, in a deeper way. Well, it gives a context. Uh, absolutely. And it means more to uh, the person listening and watching uh, once they experience it. So, I mean, it's like one thing to hear you know, Bonnie Raitt sing uh, Angel from Montgomery. It's another thing to have John Prine tell you what the story's all about. That's, that's exactly right. 
And that's what these songwriters are. And, and a lot of them are incredible vocalists and they can play, they can sing, they can tell a story, engage with the crowd. Many of them former recording artists who just became songwriters in one way or the other, and that's what they do full time now. So they know how to entertain and connect to an audience. So you really have something magical when you put the right combination of songwriters together. And that's what Songwriters City is. We, we provide and curate those type of songwriter experiences, mostly for corporate and private uh, events in Nashville and, and around the country. And tell those stories. And tell the stories. It's very much all about storytelling. As I hope my show is as well. <laughs> but the bottom line is you have how many, ro- how many on your roster of, of songwriters? It ebbs and flows, but right now we have around 50 um, in different tier levels. And, um, you know, some of them have 25, 30 number ones. Some of them have, you know, 10, 15. And then you have others that are newer and they're on the rise and they have one, two, three number one songs. But the they all have... Are, the ones with the most number ones, would we know who they are? We might know the song. We right. We might not know them. That's, that's the deal. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't know who they are, but they are the real talent in this town, in my opinion. When people come... What's the biggest surprise for them? To a songwriter room? Yeah. Wow, there are many revelations that happen during an evening. And number one, that uh, their favorite recording artist didn't actually write the song. I think, you know, when they're telling the story behind something they wrote for Tim McGraw or Blake Shelton or Miranda Lambert, uh, countless other artists, and they're shocked that they didn't write those. And so that's the first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is, wow, the story's, you know, a little behind the scenes look behind what it is to be a songwriter. So I think a lot of people don't even know what it means to be a songwriter. So they're learning, not only are they learning that they they wrote the songs, but they're learning, oh, what is it about to be a songwriter? What's it like? So it's very much a revelation that's happening and light bulbs are going off and, you know, in in their heads. And so it's a lot of fun to watch and, you know, you can see it's palpable in the room. There's also the definition of terms of what country music is, because things have sort of morphed over to pop as well. It's always morphing into something else, some other sound, um, but it encompasses a lot of different sounds now. Uh, you just listen I to... I mean, for example, if somebody said to me, okay, bluegrass, got to have a banjo, got to have a fiddle, right? Country, country western, well, got to have a guitar, right? Yes. You Probably do. an accordion every once in a while. No accordions. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Are you absolutely sure? <laughs> sometimes you can have an accordion. Some, there you go. See? Sometimes you can have, that's right, you can have an accordion, you can have a steel guitar. I think in today's terms of modern country, uh, guitar, it's always you, about you the guitar. You say modern country. Or traditional country. There you go, see? But what I'm saying is the definitions change. It does. So that, you know, it, I remember when a country record got on the, on the pop charts, people thought, oh my God, what has happened? When in fact, there's so many car, country songs that are now on the, on the pop charts as well. That's right. They just morph over. Yeah, you can name, really, you can name any, any instrument over the course of country music history, and it's going to be a part of it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song? Oh, my goodness. Uh, no, I, do, I don't. There's just, it's just too difficult. My brain would explode. Is there a song that when the songwriters play those songs, mm-hmm. that blow people away? Yes, uh, that happens a lot. Uh, it's, it's an emotional roller coaster. Uh, when they tell the stories that are poignant and emotional, but also funny and hilarious. Um, And a lot of that has to do with how the songs were written and how they found the way to the recording artist. So yeah, there's, there's some very emotional uh, times in these songwriter rounds. You see people uh, visibly crying a lot. Wow. 
Tears of laughter. Or, or tears of laughter and tears of joy and, and all of that are happening. And that's what's fun about it. That's what makes it magical. My thanks to Mike, to Caesar, to David, and to Bjorn Larson. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.